Please hope there's no frost around Things they do look awful cold Grow inside is what I'm told This is my germination This is my germination, baby All right, it's March 10th Welcome to The Vegetable Beat, a live weekly roundtable discussion for vegetable producers in the Great Lakes and Midwest region. I'm your host, Ben Phillips from MSU. Mike Reinke is on the backboards today, and this week the topic is organic transplant media. And to talk about this, I have a few guests from Purdue University. They're part of a crack team that went in and did a, a whole bunch of neat research on this over the last couple of years. We have Liz Maynard and Wenjing Guan, both of who are extension specialists in vegetable production. Uh, Liz is based in the north of the state, and Wenjing is in the south of the state. And also Lori Hoagland, a, a professor in soil ecology uh, at Purdue as well. And they're all in the Department of Horticulture and Landscape Architecture. So um, just a quick reminder to anyone who's attending live, uh, you can ask questions. You can put it in the Q&A, or you can put it in the chat. That's fine. And uh, we're going to try to take them as we go this time. So I want to ask you all, well, first of all, thank you for coming. I welcome you. Here. So I'd like to ask you a little bit about your projects. And maybe I'll start with you, Wenjing. This is all about organic transplant media. Right. And this is the time of year when growers are getting things going. They're, they're buying bags of mixes in bulk and things like that. How, what makes an organic media different from a non-organic media? Okay, um, so I will go ahead talk a, a, a touch a little bit about the, the background information of the organic medium. So for certified organic vegetable production in the United States, the growing medium must meet standard of U.S. Department of Agriculture National Organic Program, NOP. Ingredients have to be natural materials or synthetic ingredients that are on the national list defined by the NOP. No prohibited materials may be used. That is primary, um, we are talking of the synthetic starter fertilizer and the wetting agent. Okay, so the ingredients have to be on the NOP list. What kind of ingredients differ between organic and uh, conventional? Okay. And it, open question, any of you can tackle that one. Like the fertility would be something like uh, maybe made of an animal or something like that, or, or compost coming from different materials. Okay. Um, I, will, I will go ahead and talk about the, the nutrient. So then you mentioned that nutrient actually, that's, a, that's really probably the most different part of organic and uh, conventional medium as synthetic fertilizer is not allowed in organic medium. And then really compost, it's an important component in organic medium. Um, and we understand compost may act like a slow release fertilizer um, and the mineralization of compost um, problem can supply nutrient needs of whole plant. Um, I was uh, look at literature, it's mentioned, it is assumed that about 14% of compost as an ingredient of the growing median, it's uh, sufficient to supply plant nutrient demand in two to three weeks, but except nitrogen. Of course, this depends on the source of compost as well. Um, I'm sure we will discuss more about compost later. Um, but here I do want to mention on top of compost, um, as we know, compost may not apply, supply all the nitrogen, other nutrient source like animal or plant-based meal, um, alfalfa meal, cap meal, fish meal, et cetera. Um, that, those can provide additional, um, more quickly released nitrogen. And while we are looking at all the uh, search, the um, OMRI list, we see some organic media even have ingredients like um, bad grana, um, which of mm. course is a great uh, nitrogen sauce. Yeah, back one. Oh, you can make uh, gunpowder out of that stuff too, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, so compost seems to be a huge component of organic 
media. Um, so, and you know, go ahead. I, I just want to mention that it's it's uh, a lot of organic media has compost, but you don't have to have compost in organic media too. Maybe you were coming coming up to that, but some some media that's okay to use in organic production doesn't doesn't have compost in it. Yeah, well, that was sort of a question I had because a lot of what the media there's a component of media that is just acting as a substrate as a material that the roots hold on to and and compost is can be like that too and so i was wondering like how much a compost addition like offsets something that might already be that way like sphagnum or peat or something like that so as you add compost you're probably reducing another component right because mm -hmm. it's kind of bulky material mm -hmm. Yeah, you are, you are exactly right, and you, and and I and I just mentioned I, I I look at the literature said about fourteen percent of composting a media is in is provide those nutrients. Then the other materials in those mediums um, probably the the ones which you mentioned first is peat, <laughs> and and so by far it probably still the most commonly and used um, ingredient in growing medium. Um, and of course, because there's a lot of good things of peat, it increases water holding capacity, it have a good cantile exchange capacity, that means hold nutrient very well. Um, and they have low bark density, so peat is very important. But I do want to um, point, there has been an increasing environmental and ecological concerns about the use of peat as a growing medium. Um, this is because the peat is uh, basically is, uh, like a partially decayed organic matter um, formed in wetland, and, and uh, it is believed that it's non-renewable nature, not used in harvest, might harm endangered wetland ecosystem worldwide. I, I don't think we have to worry about like at this moment right now, but it's definitely something would affect the media industry in the future. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think uh, coconut coir is uh, pitched as being a, an alternative to that or serving a similar role in a media mix. Am I wrong? Am I correct on that? Was that, is that how I interpret coconut coir? Sort of to yeah. supplant a peat type thing? Right. And you're exactly right. Then. And like coconut Call it's it's uh we, we see it's increasingly used in the, included in the medium, and other natural organic material like polybark, wood fiber, all those has been like tested, evaluated, included in commercial um, mediums too. Um, and the, since we are talking of the other ingredients in the medium, I will go ahead and say um, the natural mineral component is also important in the medium. Um, which include like perlite, vermiculite, sand. Um, yeah, I was asked like the difference of perlite of vermiculite. Um, and I want to grow understand is perlite is a type of volcanic glass. Um, it allows water drain quickly, provide very good aeration um, to the medium. Um, vermiculite is also a minor component no no matter organic media or conventional media that was that all important component um and that is act like a sponge absorb water and so in the media specific for seed germination vermiculite is almost always there it's a it's a minor um component those you look know, like the shiny the vermiculite looks like shiny gold flakes right and perlite looks like white yeah white dots. yeah right yeah, I was reading about those. I saw some neat YouTube videos on how those are they're mined and created, and both of them need heat applied to them to expand them, like popcorn almost, to, yeah. to, to then have the qualities that we enjoy in a in a in a media of any type, organic or not. But right. Uh, right. yeah, 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 all in, in important component in no matter organic or conventional, important component in those media, and just a little. A little add on the nutrient we mentioned. We mentioned compost, but there are other um, things like um, minor component, uh, like um, um, the uh, the potassium sulfate, um, gypsum, um, those um, and uh, um, 
phosphorus stalks, those also provide a nutrient to the medium and they are natural uh, materials. Yeah, they're like raw minerals almost, or just really just finely ground type things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what I'm gathering here is that this media uh, is made is different primarily in its nutrient sources because a lot of the other stuff is is mined or uh, I guess they do call it peat mining. So yeah, kind of mined. It's it's a natural co uh, composition. It's not processed very much. So that's not altered so much as the nutrients are because the nutrients for an organic type product need to be you know NOPs. NLP listed, and that means you know as natural as possible. So that's kind of the main difference. Um, and organic is growing, and there's a lot more growers that are growing organically. So that's probably why you approached this project, right? You wanted to take a look at lots of different media. Um, is how did you come up with the different media that you looked at? You looked like at eight or so, eight or so different types of organic media. Liz, do you want to take this one? Yeah, I, yeah, I can get started on that. I was it kind of got started. I was. Uh... I've been working with organic growers on various projects and doing organic, you know, work at the farm and just realizing that there's a, a, a different media out there. And some of the media that people are using is being shipped in from far away. And it's expensive to ship in when you try and, you know, order a, a bag of media and have it shipped halfway across the country. That's expensive. And then the media itself varies in cost. You know, you can look at different costs. And so it's like, well, you know, and some people may be saying, well, this media is really good, but it's so expensive. I only want to use it for my very highest value things, you know, mm -hmm. and people may be thinking, well, maybe I'll uh, make some of my own media, but mix in a little bit of this good media, too, to make it go farther. So there's mm -hmm. kind of this question. I was kind of wondering, you know, like, how much difference does the media really make? And mm -hmm. so that was one thing, you know, that kind of a simple question, but something that it seemed worth looking at. And then um, uh, is there a way to know before you buy the media, whether it's going to be one of the ones that's going to do well for you or, or not, you know, so uh, yeah. is there a way somehow to judge it? That'd be nice to know. And um, uh, so that was kind of, I mean, is that? Lauren, yeah, no, that makes sense to me. Summarize the simple, the simple view of, of thinking about it. And then, um, so then in terms of picking the media, um, we were thinking, well, we want to pick some media that people are actually using. And I should say this was funded by USDA Specialty Crops Block Grant in the state of Indiana. So we were kind of focused on, you know, what's happening in Indiana, but realizing that it's, you know, can be useful for people elsewhere, too. But so we wanted to pick some things that were that we uh, realized were being used in Indiana. And we wanted to also, uh, we're thinking about, well, it would be nice to explore some of the stuff that's available close, you know, that might be manufactured nearby and where we don't have such big shipping costs. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think we wanted to pick some media that had compost and some that didn't, because we, we ended up with that. I think that was part of our, part of our interests. And uh, we also, uh, since we were not only going to look at the plants, but we're also going to look at some of the microbiological stuff, we also, there's some media you can buy that says we have added AMF, mycorrhizal uh, mm. fungi, and, um, or there might be something else in it. I think we have two that specifically said they had added that. And so, I mean, I'll let Lori talk more about that. We didn't necessarily look yeah. at that particular aspect of the media but when we were doing it we were thinking oh hey this one says you know it's got this in it maybe maybe let's look at that and see you know see if we see anything different because of that so um that's kind of a long-winded explanation i guess <laughs> did i no, leave anything out or does that make sense it's great i think you 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 tackled why you did it and how you decided on the products that you evaluated i want to popcorn that over to Lori because you had mentioned amf that's some lingo. Lori, can you, what's AMF? Yeah, so AMF, that refers to arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi, um, which is a term that describes a symbiotic relationship between plants and plant roots specifically, um, and a certain type of fungi within the glomeromycota family. Um, and so they, they interact very closely. These particular fungi are very 
dependent on the plant to survive. Um, they get carbon resources from the plant. And then in exchange, they help the plant to acquire nutrients, uh, mostly phosphorus, other micronutrients, as well as helping them play a role um, in withstanding things like water stress and pathogen stress or other pest stress. So it's a very good thing for plants to associate with mycorrhiza if they can. So um, that's, that's where you came into this project. As the soil ecologist, you were looking at um, the effects of that or, or uh, adding things in addition to what the media may have already had? Yeah, so yeah, I, I got involved in the project um, from, I guess, I, I look at microbes everywhere, mostly in the soil and thinking about ways that we can manage and, and help growers to better manage beneficial microbes in their operations to, to help with plant productivity. And so potting media is kind of an unexplored area. Um, you know, there's a lot of interest now and in people amending um, potting media in this example, we know AMF, you can take the spores, these little houses that the fungi build to, to survive and they're putting those in there. Um, but when you're starting to bring in things like compost and even peat, there are probably many other microbes there as well. Um, and so we wanted to take a look and just you know see what's in there. Um, how do these different media influence those communities and then what role can that potentially play in helping the, these transplants really get going and doing better when they get out into the field. Okay, great. Thank you for explaining that. Uh, we're going to come back to you in a, in a little bit because I want to go back to Wenjing and Liz and talk about what they learned about the, the plant characteristics that were after they were grown in these different types of transplant media. Can you, uh, who would like to tackle that? Well, I can, I can start off and we did, what, wait, what we'll say is we had um, we grew a couple, a few different kinds of plants in the in the media, right? So we had a couple of different locations, did it over a couple of years and stuff. Uh, we had another partner on this project, Petrus Langenhoven, who isn't with us today. But um, so we one plant that we grew every in all our experiences was tomatoes. So we grew tomato seedlings and we grew them in a um, we were, what, in a 72-cell flat, right? So it's a fairly small cell. I know some people are growing them in bigger, you know, four-inch pots or even bigger, but we were growing them in 72 cells, so fairly small. And then we also grew, so we, we also looked at uh, cucumbers, squash, and watermelon. Wenjing did the watermelon down in southwest Indiana. And then we did a few things with lettuce and spinach. I did those in um, similar small cell sizes. And uh, uh, so that gives you the, the type of, you know, an idea of the type of size, the type of plants we're, we're looking at. We're looking at kind of like trays, large, large plug cell sizes, I guess you'd call them for those. And um, uh, one of the things that we found pretty uniformly was that the uh, germination uh, differed in the different growing, growing media. Mm. So, and we looked at germination. We didn't only look at just like total germination, how many seeds came up. And there were some differences with that. But we also looked at um, how quickly they came up. So like how long it took time for half the seeds to come up. And then another thing is like how uniform it was. You know, did all the seeds come up on one day or with, over a couple of days? Or did they like straggle out over whatever, a period of a week or something? So I call that uniformity. And okay. so the, the media differed in that there were some media where we got high germination they came up quickly and they came up really uniformly and there were other media where it took uh it took longer and 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 they weren't as uniform and uh i think i mean we were trying to see is it you know are uh do the tomatoes differ from the cucurbits or from the lettuce and there were some cases like if it was really warm and everything was coming up really quickly where we didn't see as much difference among the media in the like in the squash and the cucumbers but generally if if it, we saw a difference in a lot of the trials and uh, the differences were fairly consistent what did you come up with as the root cause for the differences across the media yeah and so one thing that was um that we had um done some tests on the media some standard tests that you can do for greenhouse media we sent them away to a commercial lab that does greenhouse media tests kind of you know if you're familiar with soil tests you can get your greenhouse media tested and we sent them to a lab that does a test 
they basically just extract, uh, do a water extraction, or they may put in some other compound, but a very simple extraction of saturated uh, media and measure in that water. And one of the things they can measure is the level of, of, we'll call it salts. They measure electrical conductivity. It's just a measure of salts. And those salts could be uh, fertilizer salts. If there's a little extra sodium in the media, it could be coming from sodium, which we don't normally think of as a fertilizer. But um, many people are aware, you know, if a high salt level can kind of be inhibit germination. And what we found in the media was that the media that had a higher salt level, a higher EC, we saw lower, uh, most of those measures of germination were lower in, in that media. So we think that's what the big difference in the media was. Okay. Now, we also did have trouble wetting some of the media. And in our first experiment, we were trying to figure out, you know, what's the best way to do this to make sure we're treating everything equally. And in our first experiment, and this is where anyone who's who's grown a lot of stuff would probably say, you folks, you should not have done it that way. But what we did, we <laughs> put the media into the flats dry. We didn't met, wet the media first. And, and we- Float away on you? So we put it in dry. And then we said, we're gonna water it after we do that until it's thoroughly saturated. So we know it's fully wet. So we did that. But some of the media was really hard to wet that way. Yeah. And when we looked and we actually weighed the flats, you know, to see how much water we got on them. And when we looked at that, we found that in some cases, some media didn't in fact get wet until like maybe several, really wet until maybe several days after we had seeded. And oh, man. in those cases, we also seemed to have, low, that also seemed to influence the germination. Our measurements weren't quite as clear on that. But I suspect that's also at play, you know, when we look at the results in addition to the um, electrical conductivity or the okay. salt level. But um, yeah, but that you can, you know, so that told us, okay, we, you want to make sure you do get that media wet, either wet it before you put it in the flats or make really sure that when you're watering them in, you, you know, repeatedly do it. Uh, sometimes, um, uh, uh, you know, the ingredients in a, in a media can be very hydro, hydrophobic. They don't really wet very easily. Mm -hmm. And especially if they don't have a, a wetting agent in them, um, uh, it can be difficult to get that media wet just by watering it. Right, right. Um, so it's, I took a look at some of the materials that you had put together and presented on. And, and I had a, one thing that you had, um, figured out or, or seen or observed was that if you add fertilizer, so the EC is kind of related to fertilizer content in this media to begin with. It's the high salt levels, uh, maybe from compost, maybe from something else. But if you add fertilizer on top of that, if you double it up on uh, media that's already had already has a high EC, it, it didn't seem to change germination rate. It made germination rate worse when you put it on media that was already low EC and then you add, you like charge it with fertilizer and it basically created the same effect. One thing you also figured out was, or noticed was that if you had um, media that was already high EC, it had poor germination or what have you, if you let that plant grow out, it ended up being bigger and in some cases yielding more than plants that had a low EC starting media that you also added fertilizer to. And I'm wondering, why, why do you what do you think caused that? Like the lack of response to fertilizer later for plants that didn't have a lot to begin with. So, and I, maybe maybe I'll I'll uh, describe a little more what we did, and then I don't know. Wendy, you took some of the things actually to some of the tomatoes actually to yield. We didn't plant everything out, but in some of the tomato uh, experiments, we planted them out, and Wendy took them some of them all to yield. But so like the first year we did the study, we didn't put on any added fertilizer. The second year, yeah. we realized some of this media needs fertilizer or we're going to just get really shrimpy plants. Okay. And so one way we put the fertilizer on was uh, we had some some dry fertilizer that we incorporated into the growing medium. Okay. And uh, that, as you were saying, that raised the EC of the growing medium. And for media that already had IC, it raised it so much it kind of injured it more. We also okay. put some fertilizer on in a liquid fertilizer that we... Uh, started irrigating in the first set of trials just soon after seeding a little bit. And then those are the ones where uh, 
some of those were planted out and when do you took them to uh, final yield? Right. So I'm wondering, can, can you? Mm -hmm. okay. um, so to follow what Liz said um, on the yield part, we do notice the nest healthy looking transplant. When you plant them to the soil, it will affect the yield. So we, we know some sometimes we're thinking when we after we planted everything good, the plants can catch up, but it's not exactly like that. And we notice that especially on early yield. If you don't have a good healthy transplant to start with, that likely would affect your early yield or delay the harvest. That is one thing we learned in this experiment. And go back to um, Ben's question earlier, as Liz said, uh, we have some medium um, we know don't have compost, don't have much nutrient content. Uh, we grew in them. The first year didn't do well. And the second year, we add the liquid fertilizer. We add fertilizers. Um, and this seems to do well. And the other, some medians, we have the compost. And those medians may have high EC, delayed um, germination. But um, when you do grow, it's grown very good. And uh, even better than the ones we add the, um, like started with low EC, but add liquid fertilizer, the question Ben asked. Arlinger, um, I think this would uh, depend on a lot on those uh, fertilizers, like liquid fertilizer we add later on. Um, all those are organic fertilizers, so we know they are not exactly provide the like very readily available nutrient to the plant. There is a mineralization process. So when we come back to add that liquid fertilizer, it could possible mm, those fertilizers not readily available and uh, um, and uh, so the plants have a earning um, um, stress that don't have enough nutrients that delay this growth a little bit so um, maybe that answer your question then so it's not grow as good as the ones already have the incorporated nutrients in the soil okay so what I'm taking from that is that there are some trade-offs to using a, a soil media that has a higher EC and that the germination might not be as great, but if it's high EC due to maybe a compost component, that slow mineralization process kind of sets them up for, um, they're like a juggernaut. They gain speed a little slowly, but then they become a stronger plant in the end. I'm, I'm trying to make an analogy here. It may not be working, but it sounds like there's some trade-offs to total germination, but healthier plant, bigger plant that may offset it. I had a, there's a question in the Q&A that's directly related to this part of the conversation um, about EC. What is too low and what is too high? Can you put some numbers on that, some values that people could use as reference? I can say just, uh, you know, kind of what the, what the standards are. So for in, in reference to, to plug production, a standard that I've seen is like below one for good germination. And that was kind of in reference to uh, more some of the, you know, I usually think of, sometimes I think of plugs as the really tiny plugs, like the 288s, uh, you know, 288 and sell the really tiny ones where you're basically just doing seed germination. And then those are usually bumped up pretty quickly into something larger. So uh, but that's what's recommended for, you know, specifically for seed germination. Then, um, and we're talking, there are different, uh, I'm, I'm talking if, if it's done with a saturated media extract, there's different ways to do extract. So this is with a saturated media extract. And that, uh, uh, and those, these, I'll say, well, uh, th these guidelines that have kind of been generated, have been generated for uh, uh, not necessarily for organic media. It's, you know, what's most of that work has been probably done in conventional production. Then generally, if it's up to up to two, it's kind of considered like 0.5 or 0.75 to two is kind of considered acceptable. But it uh, uh, and sometimes you see that that's acceptable for you know young plants. Uh, some plants two to you know three and a half might be good for you know best if you're growing growing them on. Uh, that's probably been developed for the bedding plant industry. 
and you know a little bit higher i think usually it's like over 4.5 or considered high okay it can it can uh i'm trying to remember you know what i've seen on the t the, the tables that i've looked at okay well i think that's, that's you know, i think that right. adds some some perspective there yeah. those are very small numbers um, and the range isn't very big on them. So right. and you get a meter, like a Hanna Instruments type meter that measures EC, you could you could get these numbers pretty easily. Yes, but let me say the other thing is that EC is, can be expressed in different units. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> these are, and this is a weird term, but just these are in millimo, MMHO per centimeter. Sometimes that's also M capital S per centimeter. Sometimes you'll see those like the same numbers but multiplied by a hundred or a thousand so mm -hmm. just realize if you see something and you get a reading back that says it's between 50 and 100 it's moved to decimal point units you know yeah probably a decimal point difference and some of the meters do they say what range they they measure in so yeah okay Th thank you um and, i want to can i just say one other little thing about this and i know when yeah. you just mentioned this in another talk we were talking about is there are different ways to do those extractions and if you're measuring your own media you might not be doing a saturated media extract you might be doing like one part soil and two parts water and then mm. the numbers will be a little bit different but it's not hard to find recommendations for if you're doing that kind of extraction and measuring it on your own you know if you okay numerous extension publications that have those numbers yeah, I, I I have like a gallon of distilled water in my car at all times for for <laughs> growers who want to learn. Um, all right, well, I'd like to okay. go ahead, Wenjing, if you want to add something to that. I want to add this said, this is exactly right, like those numbers. Um, typically, we see like below two, it's acceptable. But in the medians we look at, I think some of them have the numbers up to four. Is, is that right? And this, yeah, so yeah. it's no, it, it's it's not surprising we see germination problem on those medians have that high EC number. Um, but that is not to say those medians is not good. Like if they are growing the larger um, transplant, if some growers. Um, like to have a two steps transplant production, which means they germinate the seeds first and then move to bigger pots to grow oh. transplant before the planting in the uh, soil. And in those cases, those um, high EC median, it's not uh, matters in terms of germination because we're already dealing with the uh, small plants. And uh, those EC normally have a higher nutrient content. That's actually what we saw in our um, in our results to compare those medium. Those plants after they do germinate, uh, they actually grown pretty good. Great. So you could pot up from a low EC media to a higher EC media, and basically have the best of both worlds: a, a great germination environment, move it to a more supportive root environment um, for later growth. Yes. Speaking of root environment, I'd like to get into what Lori was looking at uh, with the mycorrhizal fungi. And, but also, I, in one of your presentations, I'd seen that you did some assessments of the bacterial communities at, at, in the roots. And I'd, I want to give you the floor to explain what it is you, you, were, you were seeing there. Yeah, sure. So in addition to the, the mycorrhizal fungi that we mentioned, which is one group, and so we, we quantified those and found a lot of them in, in all of the medias, but we also wanted to get sense of all the other microbes. And we often use this term, the microbiome that you hear a lot now. And we, we hear a lot that a lot in human health and thinking about our gut microbiome and all these microbes that are helping us digest nutrients and, and affecting our health. And so we know now that in root systems too, there's a whole microbiome and a whole community of millions of, of microbes that are living there and interacting with the plant. And so we took, um, a, a subset of some of these um, medias and we grew tomatoes in them. And then we collected the soil from right around the roots um, and also the plant roots themselves. And so we extracted the DNA um, and did a, a sequencing project and got millions of microbes out of each one of those root systems. 
Um, and then at the same time, we took those plants and we inoculated them with a pathogen, uh, a fungal pathogen called botrytis. It causes gray mold um, in tomatoes to see if we could see if there was a relationship between these microbiomes that were influenced by the, the different potting media and um, their ability to withstand this pathogen. Um, and so we, we certainly did see differences um, in the wow. microbiome, which is not so surprising. So the different media, what they're made of, they shaped different communities, both on the outside and inside of the root. And so we were able to pull out a lot of um, microbes that we think are really good microbes that, that help the plant fight pathogens or other things through various means. And so some of that was correlated with also lower disease pressure um, or lower pathogen growth on these tomatoes. And so we need to do a little bit more work to tease that out and really show those relationships. But um, we can definitely conclude, yeah, that like any environment, you know, your potting media is full of microbes and that that's going to affect the health of the plant. That's really neat that you were able to see some differences. Um, and um, just personally, from when I, my wife and I bought a house and we wanted to do some landscaping, we got some trees and shrubs from a nursery. And uh, they gave you, I forget what the exact perk was, but there were perks to getting, along with the potted plant that you have bought, this carton of mycorrhizae that you add, they call them mics, and you add it in. And uh, I think basically if you get the mics, you they'll, they'll take the plant back if it dies, basically. And so they're like, they've got a lot of faith in these things that you use them and you, you can, it's fail proof. Uh, they'll take the plant back. Uh, though, if you don't get the mics, then they don't take the plant back. And there is a slight cost. So I don't know, they're, they're building them into these, these nursery systems in ways that uh, I hadn't seen before. And, uh, and I can see that perhaps happening with, you know, transplant media. And I think one of the mixes that you had within the ingredient list definitely had uh, some mycorrhizae fungi in there. Um, do you, uh, did you, did you add any yourself? Did you do any inoculations of this media with some of these beneficial organisms? Yeah, in this project, no, um, we didn't. We were just interested in finding out what these different media came um, along with. Um, so, you know, compost has lots of microbes in it themselves, um, peat, other things. And so for this project, we wanted to know, you know, really how do these sources affect what lives in that? And so also in a way, you know, to help growers understand which medias might be kind of seeding these beneficials and bringing them along. But um, in other projects, we have looked at these inoculants um, and at transplanting time, yeah, they can be very beneficial as a way to help get those plants started. Okay, great. Um, we have two questions that came from the audience. One was from today and one was sent ahead of time. And I think they might both be something that you could start addressing and then perhaps we could pass it off to the whole group. And the first one came today and that is uh, that one of the participants today um, works with somebody who ordered a, a, a potting mix that was compost based. And when it arrived, it was 130 degrees Fahrenheit, which indicates to me that that is not finished compost, that that compost is still very, uh, it, very much in the process of becoming finished compost. What do you think the implications of using that could be? Yeah, so I'll just start, you know, on that. And the yeah, compost is not as easy to make as some people kind of think that you just throw some waste in a pile and let it go. Um, you know, it's a whole process and it has to go through, um, you know, a heat, treatment to kill pathogens and things that could be living in there and you have to keep it at a certain heat for a long time. Um, and, you know, eventually, if you do it correctly, it gets into a stable form, um, which gets to the more stable nutrient release that Wen Jing was talking about. And so it sounds like that compost was not mature. And so, yeah, you could have lots of problems in, in pathogens and in hurting plants and yeah other challenges. And with that, I'll, I'll pass it off to my colleagues to, to add to that. Yeah, I, I, I was, while you're talking, that then make me feel 
nervous. <laughs> you hear that that composes that temperature, and even it is not that high temperature as uh, Lauren mentioned. It could have pathogens, uh, weed seeds um, still there, and uh, even it 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 is um, not that high temperature. But I I I think people should understand the compost. Um, put to uh, the median um, should have probably not exactly the compost put to soil. This should have a higher requirement for the compost to put in the median because really we are dealing with a very small size cell and we really want that compost very uniformly and uh, high quality compost to add to the median. So I would say like those most compost in the market, um, I think we, we should like the, the whole industry should develop standards in which compost is kept, it's, it's like should put in the median. That probably not, is the, not exactly the same standard as a compost can be put to soil. Yeah, and I think different composts would be would have some different things like the thermal the thermophilic organisms that live in sort of conventional compost would this, that's what's happening here and a company that does that as a business would would typically have some processes for that. There are other types of compost that don't involve heat, um, like vermicompost, for example, is one that uh, it just it's like fresh from the worms uh, you fill, and then you sift the worms out they call it a compost though it, I think that's a bit of a misnomer because it's not a composting process it's just like earthworm manure I guess you could think of it that way um, and I'm not exactly sure what would happen if you put a big stack of that together would it just start cooking it, it might and maybe that's what's what's happening here but um, it actually leads to another question we had ahead of time that you were aware of. I sent it to you before we started, but I'll, I'll ask it now for the recording's posterity's sake. There are there are earthworms that are not native to the U.S., uh, and some of them can be transported in potting media. One that, uh, that a listener was interested in hearing about your perspective on was one called a jumping worm. Sounds like the newest of the invading earthworms, and I'm curious what, what it is you think about it and what you may have to say about jumping worms and potting media. I will start on this because I think I first heard about jumping worms this uh, last summer. I, I almost have to start by saying I'm not really going to answer your question. I first heard about them last summer. There was some sort of a title on a webinar. It sounded very scary. I forget exactly what it was. And I emailed to someone. I said, have you heard about these jumping worms? And then uh, I didn't hear too much of what someone said. Well, no, we, we don't really know, you know, whoever responded to me didn't really know. And then this question came in about this. Ben sent this question around to us. And um, I remembered that I had seen the, uh, that there was a webinar on jumping worms. And so um, since I didn't know anything about it and I wanted to, you know, knew someone had asked about it, I watched that webinar. So right. from that, what I can tell you is that the, uh, but I really, I think we've got the, I sent the link to that webinar to you. See, I think you can put it in at the end, share it with people. Okay. And um, so I am, I really don't know much, much about this, but what I did learn is that these worms are, are, are around. They have, they're uh, associated with, um, they've been finding them a lot in, in urban areas and garden areas. They get, can easily get transported in something like compost or even compost materials they suspect like in, in potting soil and maybe even in litter and like that. Um, but, and the problem is that they, they aren't good for the soil structure. Okay. They aren't really good for the soil structure. What my understanding is for them and for they aren't, they aren't good for the soil and, and they are expanding their range and they are a concern. So I would encourage people to, if you can post post that link. I think uh, Mike put it in the chat. To the and then yeah, and they have some guidelines. There are one thing that I learned was that compost that is heat made using that high temperature process that will kill the reproductive structures. They call them the cocoons of these little worms. And there are some states that require commercial compost operations to use that. And certainly for or 
um, organic uh, NOP standards for compost uh, uh, require that, at least for live, you know, animal compost with animal, as well as for food safety standards. So yeah, there's a lot right. of standards for compost that require that heat treatment, and that heat treatment would kill those uh, those cocoons of those uh, jumping worms in the compost. But there may be other ways that it could be moved around in, you know, if, if it got, if pots got reinfected or worms moved. Yeah, so, maybe like digging, digging plants for vegetative reproduction and stuff like that. Nurse, nursery materials and stuff, you know, on, on uh, compost piles that aren't, you know, just home compost piles that may not be. No, Liz, um, you're the resident expert in this web webinar room on jumping worms. And I gotta, I, I feel mm -hmm. the need to, to ask one clarifying question about the soil structure. What is it that they do to the soil structure? Is it almost like over tillage? Do they like just beat it up to a point where it's finely powdered or what do they do? Boy, this is, this is, uh, it's really not, not, not what I know about. What, what, okay. what Don't they worry said about that. was they make it like coffee ground. Huh. They don't actually, they live near the surface. They don't actually go like earthworms can burrow in and stuff. But these guys, their waste droppings are kind of like coffee. Okay. And, and they can make the soil too, too loose and too, too much air. Hmm. And the hmm. nutrients can cycle too quickly. Okay. This is all what I learned. So thanks to the EAB, EAB, that's called the Emerald Ash Borer University, I think, is the group that put it on. Thanks to okay. them for teaching us all about that. And I should okay. say it by, I need to give a shout out to the person who talked. Can I send you his name? Well, we have the YouTube uh, link in the chat. Mike put it in the chat. And, and I'll make sure and I'll add this resource as well as the others, including your e-organic presentations about this topic in with the, the finished podcast, the material that comes like with the podcast, like a little blurb, you can fill it in. Okay, yeah, if I can find the name, you can go on to the next question, if I can find the name of this webinar guy, I'll. Okay, well, I welcome any of the participants to add any questions if they've got any. And uh, while you think of them, I'll, I'll ask the presenters if they have any final thoughts that they'd like to share and where they can find more about this topic, not just the worms, but everything. <laughs> this project. Um, I, I, I'll go ahead and then I, I want to see um, what I really learned from the whole project. I, I think I want to tell growers is, is to, we all know how important this um, medium to growing transplant and uh, an organic transplant. Um, but I want to tell it um, to choose a medium. It's not that like your labor tell you um, this media, I think is the best one in the world and you should go ahead with that medium. It's not like that. It's really you need to thinking of your whole uh, transplant production system. Like what's the size of the trees you, uh, what was the size of the cells you use? Um, um, like, like I said, you, you may go ahead, plant the seeds and grow it in the same medium to the big transplant, or you may add a step to switch the medium, switch the pot, or like in the in the um, environmental condition, you, you grow the transplants and it, it, it might not be the perfect temperature that will slow down the mineralization of those uh, nutrients in the um, in the uh, median. So in those cases, um, you, you may think of adding liquid fertilizers if if you don't have those mineralization to have those nitrogen in the median readily available. So all those production system would affect which median work for you. So I want to grow us really thinking about the whole entire process um, and, and guide to um, pick the median. Okay, thanks, Wenjing. Yeah, it's so, so important, you know, because everyone's system is different and the way people water is different. That makes a, can make a big difference in, you know, which media is going to work best for you. And, um, and, and of course, uh, the, the cost of the media and the shipping cost can make a huge difference in, you know, in what, in what makes sense for you to, for you to have for, mm -hmm. to, to grow. And uh, so it's, it's hard to say exactly, you know, which one is going to be best. I think everyone has a job to do to, to, to figure it out. Definitely. I, one grower in my neighborhood um, 
just told me this spring how he's uh, this is the year he's not going to pot up his vegetable transplants. He used to do that, and he just doesn't want to do that now. You'd rather start with the final cell size that they're going to use, which would, you know, based on what you have learned, if he's using organic media, that could affect his choice as to um, if he's not going to do any potting up, he may want to start with something with the best germination rate and use a liquid fertilizer with it, or, or deal with a high, a lower germination uniformity or what have you, and then healthier transplants later. But he wouldn't be switching the media because he's not going to pot up. Right. Another important thing is thinking of your labor, how much time you want to spend to take care of the plants. That can affect your decision too. That's right. Okay, Lori, any concluding thoughts? Um, no, just I, I think, you know, to me, that was what I learned a lot um, about these different potting medias and really what a, a large impact they can have on the health of these transplants and going out into the field. And I, I tend to work more at the field level and how do we manage diseases and things. And, you know, I learned that how healthy your transplants are coming out into the field is going to have a huge impact on, on their survival. And so uh, I'm just glad that Liz brought us all together to do this work and, and hope that it will um, help people out. Great. Okay. Well, thank you, Liz Maynard, Wenjing Guan, and Lori Hoagland, all from Purdue, from this crack team that looked at this really neat idea. Um, we're going to share more about it uh, when the podcast comes out and uh, where you can learn more. They've got some of their presentations and materials in, in, uh, in readable formats that we can share. This show is put on by the Great Lakes Vegetable Producers Network, which is a group of extension people and researchers from across the Great Lakes region. We broadcast live via Zoom at 12.30 Eastern Time and 11.30 Central Time every Wednesday from the first week of March this year uh, through the first week of September. We're in for the long haul at glveg.net slash listen. I want to encourage you all to join us next week, next Wednesday, same time, same place, and we'll have um, Matt Kleinhens from Ohio State University talking to Judd Reed from Cornell University, and they're going to just... They're just going to talk about everything they want to talk about for hoop houses going from winter into spring into summer and all the decisions you might want to be thinking about at this time of the year. So I'd like to uh, thank you all once again, and I hope you all have a good week. Thank you. Okay, bye. So I put my seeds into a tray. Give them some mycorrhizae. I'm not trying to cause a big infection. I'm just talking about my germination. It's my germination. It's my germination, baby. Compost can't have too much salt. Seeds won't pop and sprouting hogs. But once they do, there's no competition. They grow much better after germination. It's my germination. This is my germination, baby. Disease will come, but I have no fear. I got friends in the rhizosphere. My bio grows, make plants real bold. They'll surely die before they get mold. This is my germination. This is my germination, baby. My germination. My germination. My germination. My germination.